Welcome to the Talk Angry Podcast, your destination for Shocker basketball. Join us every episode from the Forge Audio Production Studio as we dive into game recaps, analysis, and interviews throughout the 2018-2019 basketball season. And now, here are your hosts, Dustin Kuhn and Taylor Eldridge. Welcome to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. The Shockers are headed to New York. On today's show, we'll recap how they got there, and we'll also get you ready for Tuesday's semifinal matchup with the Lipscomb Bisons. Great show coming up for you right after this. The Talk Angry Podcast is brought to you by Forge Audio Productions. For all your audio and music production needs, Forge Audio is ready to deliver the highest quality production that serves the artist. To receive a free consultation or quote from Brian, visit www.forgeaudioprod.com. That's www.forgeaudioprod.com. Or follow the studio on Facebook or Instagram. And now back to the show. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. Taylor's in New York getting ready for next week's NIT matchups in the Final Four, semifinal for Wichita State. First, let's talk about the three road victories the Shockers went on. They're the first team in NIT history with wins over the top three seeds in their region. They did all of it on the road. They're the sixth team ever to reach New York with three road wins. So just such an impressive week of basketball. And if you go back to last Tuesday against Furman, you had a, or excuse me, Wednesday, you had a packed arena there, even though it was small, great atmosphere. Uh, they had a great player who, you know, goes off for a lot of points, but the Shockers take care of business. Echenique has his coming out party. Then they take the road party to Clemson, take down an ACC school, and then probably the most impressive uh, home environment that they've uh, seen all year at Assembly Hall in Indiana. They take down the number one seat as well. So it's just, uh, what a great week for the Shockers. Absolutely. I think you've seen this team really start to grow, really start to gain some more confidence and, and really have something to keep battling for. So, you know, some of the some of the things I saw mainly was just the defensive intensity, I think, in all three games was there. A lot of effort across the board from Everyone from Echenique and Asbjorn blocking shots. You've got Dexter Dennis being assigned to the best perimeter player, whoever they're they're matched up against, and he's trying to stick to them and shut them down. He had a stellar performance against Marquise Reed in the Clemson game, so certainly he had a huge impact on the defensive end. And just overall, I thought the team was more connected. You know, they were recovering better off of ball screens. You saw better hedges. You saw working over screens to prevent jump shots so just overall just really well connected to make things difficult for the opposition there was a point this season where I wasn't sure if the Shockers were gonna win a road game they've now won six straight true road games they've won 14 out of their last 17 games and I think the thing that you know I've been most excited about is they love playing with each other you know they're not disappointed that they're in the NIT they're excited about it they're excited about the opportunity to grow we see guys like Dexter Dennis with six blocks against Indiana. I mean, we'll be lucky if this kid's here all four years. I mean, that's the kind of player he's turning into. We see Eric Stevenson hitting big shots. You know, I already mentioned Echenique and Mitgard have kind of been a two-headed monster, and their size has been a difference maker, particularly in that first game against Furman. So there's just so many, you know, great things you can point to. And then, as always, Marcus McDuffie, Samaje Haynes-Jones, they seem to always come up in a big moment and help get this team to advance. 
Absolutely. I also would point out poor Bear Chandler. You know, there was some foul trouble in the Indiana game when we didn't have any dead ball situations and Echenique picked up an early second foul and had to basically sit the entire first half. Poor Bear Chandler comes in, gives some good minutes, kind of stems the tide, play, got a blocked shot in there himself. So I certainly think he definitely played well. What I really like about this, though, is you mentioned that they've won six straight road games. But these three road games, I think, are bigger than any they've won so far just because they are teams that were on the bubble, teams that believed that they had a case to be in the NCAA tournament. Probably their resume wasn't quite there for various reasons in all three cases, but, you know, Clemson's net ranking was like, 30 or something like that. Indiana is a team that swept Michigan State this year. So Furman was right there in, in the mix with uh, in Villanova exactly. on the road. So, so this, these were impressive wins that they had. So now that they're going on the road and beating these kinds of teams, it's just going to start. I, I, I really feel like it's going to build that confidence and understanding what it takes to beat NCAA caliber teams on the road. And these are the kinds of games that these young players now are learning to win and that is going to springboard into next season when they're going to have to win these kinds of games to put together their resume that's going to get them into the NCAA tournament. The game against Furman, I thought they really won that with their size. They were plus 17 in rebounds. They were plus 14 in points in the paint. The game against Clemson, I think they won with their defense. They held Clemson to 28.3% from the field, 14.3% from three. I believe Clemson only hit three three pointers in that game. Uh, and they didn't even have a lead the entire time. Wichita State, from start to finish takes care of business but against Indiana when you look at the box score it's confusing to me as how they won by 10 points in a hostile environment Indiana was plus 20 in points in the paint they were plus eight in points off of turnovers they were plus 15 in the fast break so it it was just a a group of guys who kind of grinded together through that last win at Indiana and I think that's why the locker room celebration you saw it was such a, a, a neat atmosphere and they were so happy because really you know from going to the lowest of lows, as Taylor put it in his article on Kansas.com this week, to the point they're at now, you can see the growth in all these guys. You know, honestly, I thought the most difficult game that Wichita State played was against Furman on the road. Furman was very motivated to get a shot at, at Clemson. Clemson. That was their KU moment. That, yeah. that would have been their KU moment, and, and I think they were really motivated to get there. They had the kind of team with perimeter shooters and a big man inside who was very crafty around the rim, and I, I was really impressed with uh, the game plan defensively, they said, "You know what? We're going. We know that they can shoot it from the perimeter. We know they got a guy who's really good distributor from the post. So what they did is they said we're going to force him to be like a forty-point scorer to win. And you saw him score a lot of points, but you never really saw their perimeter shooters get comfortable. And you also saw when their post player Rafferty, right, yep. when he caught it on the perimeter, looking for those cutters and those back cuts in the lane." They would bring back the post player to the center of the lane, take out all those angles for those passes on cuts, and I think it really took away a good portion of Furman's offense in that game. So, yes, Rafferty had a had a great game, scoring 25, I believe, in that one, but um, really, really impressed with the defensive game plan. And I think you saw that late in the game when they were trading buckets. There was one moment when we had a two-point lead. Rafferty got it. And I think he was like, you know, I'm tired of just tying the game. 
and he tried to kick it to a three-point shooter. McDuffie was there, hard contest, difficult shot. They missed it. We score on the next possession, four-point lead, and at that point, you know, there was that little bit of a cushion, and I think that's what brought the Shockers home in that game. Their scout on Rafferty had him working on the offensive end as well, so Greg Marshall talked about how they had a game plan going in to throw it down low every single time and have Rafferty bump with those big guys down low and then pass it back out. They wanted him working just as hard on the defensive end as he was working on the offensive end, and yes, he ends up getting his his points, but at the same time, late in that game let's remember how close it was late in that game it seemed like the shockers had a little bit more juice have a deeper bench they score on eight of their final nine possessions and and really kind of pulled away when they needed to absolutely just really great execution and then in the clemson game i thought just defensively just really great execution as well particularly dexter dennis on marquise reed he never let him got comfortable mid-range jumpers that was his game you know, he shoots those relatively inefficient shots. You don't really see a lot of people, you know, everybody wants to do layups or three-pointers. Marquise Reed really focuses on a mid-range game, and at 45%, he's really good at it. Dexter Dennis contesting every single one of those. He has the size and the athleticism. And I think, you know, when you look at his development from the beginning of the year to now, he's just really become that lockdown defender to where Marshall didn't even want anybody else trying to defend Reed and Dex plays 38 minutes in that game, doesn't get into foul trouble. We've talked on this show in the past, all the way back to the days when the Shockers were in the Missouri Valley. When you're in conference play, and for a lot of these teams, you're playing them twice a year, home and away, there's not a lot you can throw at them on a game-by-game basis, particularly maybe when you're playing just a few weeks apart that's going to surprise them. But we always see Coach Marshall do so well in postseason play, and I think that's you know the diversity of their offense. They have so many different sets that they can go to, how hard they play defense. Obviously, defense travels and, and certainly does in the postseason, but I think Coach Marshall is so good at putting a game plan together. Taylor had an article in the Eagle today about how Wichita State has adjusted their offense for the NIT and running more motion, getting it down low uh, a little more often, and, and I think that has paid dividends as well. Well, you look at some of the complicated plays, and they had a lot of screen-the-screener action in the Indiana game and just lots of passes, lots of movement. And if one player slips up and gets caught on a screen, it may not be that first pass, but all of a sudden you're forcing a defender to play more help than he would normally, and it starts to unravel a defense. And in one or two more passes, you're getting a wide-open look. And I think that we're starting to see some of the freshmen understand that ball movement. I think we would expect to see maybe a little more of it. I'd like to see a little more of that action, but certainly very good. And really impressed with the free-throw shooting down the stretch. There's been a lot of times late in these games where guys are having to go to the free throw line and hit clutch free throws. So definitely Samaje's knocking down his free throws in clutch moments. Eric Stevenson's knocking some down. McDuffie's knocking his free throws down. Um, I, I really feel like, you know, in those situations, those guys are stepping to the line with confidence. And this is a team that going into conference play was sub 70%, like 64% or something. It was really kind of questionable, but starting to get that confidence and, and really since conference play has started has been really very good from the free throw line. Wichita State is 8-1 and in the NIT under Coach Greg Marshall, and they've won eight straight. They're tied for the sixth longest winning streak in NIT history. One person who I think earned him some paychecks this week was Marcus McDuffie. So from the Furman game all the way through, he's been lights out. Whatever slump he was in there earlier in the year, he's certainly broken out and, and looks, in my opinion, like someone can, that can definitely play in the NBA. Absolutely, with those spot-up jump shots, you know, he can 
he can get his shot basically anytime he wants from the perimeter, just being 6'8". He has a high release point on the jump shot. And, you know, we saw some some shots in that game that he hit against Indiana where, you know, he wasn't even completely square. He just elevated and shot over guys to make him. I would like to see him be a little more efficient. I'd like to see him be a little more selective in these last games in, in New York, particularly with the way that, um, Eric Stevenson and Dexter Dennis have started to shoot the ball. You know, they're being very efficient as well. So I'd, I'd like to see a little more selectiveness, but certainly he is very good at just a couple quick dribble fadeaway, pull up jumpers, or just rising up and shooting over people. You talk about Dexter Dennis. He has hit a three in 16 straight games. So that's quite an impressive streak for the freshman. Wichita State has skyrocketed to number 66 in the Ken Palm rankings. They were hovering, you know, 100 to 120 for, for most of the year and now uh, about to crack that top 65. Another player I want to talk about is Asborn Mitgard. He was one point shy of a double-double against Furman. And, you know, talk about a complete transformation. I, I don't even know how you can compare what we saw maybe Mitgard against Louisiana Tech to where he is right now. Just he, He's someone that can definitely be, you know, someone you build around moving forward here over these next couple years. I want him just to grow out his beard. Like, I, th- I think he should just roll with it and go full Viking. On it, I think that would be the most intimidating thing he could do right now. But he is—he's got the size, he's got the physicality. I think he's really learned this season how to wall up well, and that's something that I think is lost on a lot of post players. You know, they really want to swing at the blocks. I'm really impressed with Echenique and Mitgard in that they will wall up well, get their hands high, really try to avoid letting the hands come down. I know that sometimes with the body contact of guys penetrating it, it sometimes brings them down to where they get called for a foul, but really impressed with the way that they defend on the perimeter. They struggle a little bit sometimes with crafty guys that try the up and under moves, try and get around them. So there's certainly room for growth and improvement, but man, he is, he looks comfortable out there. His little, uh, hook shot is is becoming more accurate it seems like he's just starting to knock that down with regularity and just soft touch around the rim so I'm I'm really impressed with that he rolls hard he sets big screens you know he's a target in there in the lane to be able to hit I'd I'd really like to see him develop more you know we're gonna get him for another you know two years right and so I'd like to see him start to to develop some of these skills, you know, the next thing is to be more of a back down player. Can he take one or two power dribbles to go get closer to the rim? If he catches it just outside the block, can he pass out from the perimeter to open shooters? Those are the things that I want to see him develop in the future. Um, but man, just, just now he is that guy defensively. He's a stopper. He's a guy who can get you buckets on the inside. He can get rebounds. Got a lot of nice ones in the Indiana game, just where he jumped up and just snatched it. So really impressed with his performance, considering he was at the bottom of the rotation, you know, in non-conference play and, and just got a few minutes, got a few minutes against UCF and, and has really taken that and just run with it. Think about this team if it has a healthy Mo Udeze. I mean, they're already getting great production from their bigs. I think poor Bear Chandler's really gotten good. And as you mentioned, uh, had some very key minutes in Indiana where they had some foul trouble. And and then, you know, theoretical, but what about a Teddy Allen on this ball club? Then, I mean, they've already are one of the most improved teams in the nation. And you just kind of play those what ifs, but certainly future's going to be bright heading into next year. Absolutely. And I think this is going to be the springboard forward that's going to carry them. You know, you're going to get to the end of this NIT run and all the players are going to go in and sit down with Marshall and they're going to be like, 
Marshall's going to be able to challenge him and say, hey, what's what's next? You know, we had this great run. Are you hungry for more? Do you want more? And the players are going to know what it's going to take. They're going to be prepared for what it's going to take. And then you're going to bring in your new class of freshmen. And you're going to have a core of guys that know what it takes at the Division One level and are going to be able to push and grow and, and just really have this uh, team unity to be a, a a really talented basketball team next season, maybe a team that can compete for the conference title. Shockers won the whole thing in 2011 NIT and then went to seven straight NCAA tournaments. So if this is what we had to give up, if we had to have a struggling year to get back to the NIT, to get to MSG, and now we'll go on a seven-year run again, I think I'd be okay with that. Does that mean we're going to the Final Four in two years? (laughs) I'd take that as well. You know, some asshat uh, from the Daily Caller was saying that Wichita State shouldn't be celebrating the NIT, but I, I think about how much good press the university got uh, just off the win against Indiana the other night, you had Seth Greenberg in studio. They're showing Coach Marshall getting the water dumped on him, and the guys are jumping around. Uh, the hug Andy at the Katz end. Andy Katz is tweeting about it. Exactly. Darren Rovell, who's a pretty popular former ESPN business reporter. Uh, you know, just great moments all across. You had uh, Greg Heyer, who's now at LSU, shout out the team and say they're one of the most Im- uh, improved teams in the country and how much they've enjoyed watching them. So, you know, for, for every you know, internet troll, there's 10 people out there that are saying good things and have respect for, for Coach Marshall and his program. And a lot of people are saying this is probably one of, if not the more impressive jobs that he's had at Wichita State. And I, I would agree with you. I think it's you don't know what you're getting. There's a lot of uncertainty. You Like you said, you can play the what-if game with Teddy Allen, but this team has continued to grind and find a way to win. You know, the margin is so thin, right? You're looking at, at how – dire the situation looked UCF at one and knows six. The, the margin oh man that was that was rough but you look at how close it is and then the SMU game just that last second shot that Samaje makes the margin is thin the Yukon shot to win you know there's those are the types of things you just you know and and it can break one way for you and one way against you but this team has battled and fought and continued to improve and has has not gotten too down on each other I know that they were uh frustrated and angry well and I personally underestimate maybe how down or how low they really got because the article Taylor had was saying I mean it was wearing on these guys and I know they come in with high expectations and they all had success where they're coming Mm -hmm. from but maybe we all underestimated as fans how much that was you know affecting the team that one and six start and so that's what makes the celebration even better well you look at what happened I mean the temple loss at home when they had the lead uh, Cincinnati, where it just got away from them with the multiple technical fouls there late. So you just look at those situations and like, you know, that's that's just going to grate on you. You just feel like, what is it? What do I have to do to get ahead? What do I have to do to win? And so to go from those situations to now where they're going into Assembly Hall, beating an Indiana team that thought they should have been in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, you talk about some people denigrating the NIT. I said the word denigrating on a podcast. You like that one? Um, you, you, you talk about denigrating Wichita State's NIT run, but these other teams they're playing, they cared too. Indiana put 10,000-plus in their arena for an NIT game to try and go to Madison Square Garden. You had Furman 
basically pack the house because they wanted a shot at ACC Clemson in the next game. So while you might go, oh, you know, nobody's really trying. They're just checked out. These teams are not checked out. They're working hard to try and make something happen. I know that uh, Indiana was missing Romeo Langford. So that was certainly an advantage that Wichita State had with with an injury there to, to a key player. But it hadn't stopped them from winning their first two games. And, and they definitely were playing well. Coach Marshall owns Indiana. The Shockers are now 2-1 and all-time against Indiana, but they're 2-0 and under Greg Marshall with both of those wins coming in the postseason. Coach Marshall also owns the Miller brothers, if you remember. <laughs> the Miller he beat, family. He beat Archie when he was at Dayton in the first four. He beat Sean uh, at Arizona, and now he's beat Archie again in Indiana. So it, the, the Marshall... Uh, name takes down the Miller name, at least uh, for this time around. Well, you brought up a great point in that it's hard to play Wichita State when it gets time to tournament play. Wichita State, as Taylor's always saying, they play their best basketball in March. They've got such complicated offensive systems, it's difficult to game plan. Talking about the way the the ball-on-ball uh, ball offense, where you got the ball screen offense with the roller, you have to make all the right plays and you have to recover quickly to be able to defend that and Wichita State starting to make those reads, make the right pass in those situations where it can go both ways. If you don't run the offense right, it's a turnover. But if you run it well, it's it's going to give you an open shot. Who would have thought the Shockers are the last team from Kansas playing in the postseason? Let's take a break. We'll get you ready for New York next week on Tuesday. The Shockers will be taking on Lipscomb. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Talk Angry with Kuhn and Eldridge. On Tuesday, we'll have the NIT semifinals. Lipscomb and Wichita State will tip off first at 6 p.m. Central Time. The game will be broadcast on ESPN. Right after that, TCU will take on Texas with both winners advancing to Thursday's NIT championship game. All NIT games will be played at Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena. Getting into Lipscomb, they're led by head coach Casey Alexander. He's in his fifth season. They actually finished tied for first in the Atlantic Sun Conference this year with Liberty. They lost to Liberty in their conference tournament. Liberty gets the automatic bid as a 12 seed, and Lipscomb ends up in the NIT. As far as how they got there, they won at Davidson. That's a, a common opponent with Wichita State, 89-81. They beat uh, UNC Greensboro, 86-69. And at NC State, which that was uh, this past Past week, one-point win, and it was a thriller. NC State had a pretty good fan base there. Uh, uh, Lipscomb goes up, goes up by one. NC State comes all the way back. They go up by one. Lipscomb comes back and hits a shot with about 1.5 seconds to go and gets a big uh, road win. So just like the Shockers, three road wins over three good teams. As far as Ken Palm is concerned, they're actually higher rated. They're at 41 right now to the Shockers, 66. So just like it's a, it's a team like Furman that we're not really familiar with, but they have some guys who can score it, and they're a really respectable club. Well, they got uh, 44 points in that game against NC State from, I believe it was Matthews. 
Is that yeah, right? Garrison Matthews. He's Garrison their leading Matthews. scorer at 20.6 points per game. He's a 6'5 senior. They also have 6'7 senior forward Rob Marbury. He's at 14.8. Very similar to Furman. You know, they're, they're not really going to have a whole lot of size. So kind of my first key to this game would be it's another one that we need to see Echenique and Mitgard take care of down low. Yeah, and they're going to have to do it one-on-one in those situations. So if my concern is if they have to chase guys out on the perimeter. If uh, I don't know if Marbury's a good three-point shooter, but if he can be defended by McDuffie, if he's not you know super uh, bulky and can be defended on the perimeter by McDuffie, I think that would help and allow Mitgard and Echenique to continue to patrol the paint and let let those guys really um, you know let let our defenders stay attached on the perimeter. It's going to be very similar, I feel like, to Furman. This is an interesting tidbit that came out of one of Coach Marshall's press conferences this past week, but he actually went to Jamie Echenique after the American tournament in Memphis, and he, he kind of challenged him a little bit. He said, is something wrong? Are you are you hurt? Are you sad? Because he really did not bring it against Temple, and he certainly didn't bring it against Cincinnati. I think if he plays maybe even 50% of what he's capable of, the Shockers end up beating Cincinnati and advancing to the American Championship. So it has been nice to see Echenique kind of reinvent himself, and as long as he stays out of foul trouble you hope that he can have some success on Tuesday the Bison they score 84 points per game and allow 70.1 they are good on the offensive end they shoot at 48.6 from the field and 37.9 from three so this is another game that defense is going to have to travel for the Shockers and I think it will you're never really sure with the team that has a lot of shooters how they're going to translate to a place like Madison Square Garden a big arena so certainly what they're used to experiencing regularly in home games and in the ASUN conference I don't know that it's going to be quite the same environment Um, just looking at the percentages it seems like Matthews is a bit of a volume scorer he's not so much just a really efficient player he's going to get a lot of shots up he's probably going to get his points in this game but it's going to be up to somebody like Dexter Dennis to really make life difficult on him what I'm looking at is they've got some really uh, good opponents that they played in their non-conference they beat SMU on the road 79-73 Um, and beat TCU, who's also playing in the other semifinal, beat them on the road 73-64, and then a common opponent in Clemson where they lost 84-67. So, you know, they know how to play larger teams. They've got some experience playing teams that have some size, so I don't think Wichita State's going to surprise them in that regard and you look at a team that they lost to in their ace on term tournament liberty they're one of those 12-5 upsets in the ncaa tournament so certainly a quality team that knows how to play these big conference opponents another big key to this game in my opinion is going to be the turnover battle so if there was one critique from this last week the run that wichita state's been on they had a lot of turnovers particularly late against clemson they had a lot of turnovers against indiana so they want to cut that down as far as lipscomb is concerned they actually averaged 13.2 turnovers per game, which that's that's a little above average. I'd say most teams are in that 10 to 12 uh, range there, but they also have 7.4 steals per game. So, you know, it, it might come down to which team's able to, uh, you know, kind of enforce its will from the defensive end as, as far as what leads to the ultimate uh, result. We saw against Indiana, certainly more active hands. You saw several steals from, um, 
for McDuffie, McDuffie just on the yeah. perimeter. You know, he would kind of anticipate that bounce pass, and he'd really get in and get his hands on it and just just cut it off when it when it tried to go by. So I like to see those deflections. You've seen Echenique a little more active on the defensive end, a lot of steals against Clemson. I'm curious about the time off. You know, we, we had a bunch of games. You play Wednesday, you play Sunday, you play Tuesday, all really compressed there. Now you get a week off. So the good news is I feel like Echenique was starting to get a little gassed. I mean, that's a lot of basketball in a short period of time. He looked a little gassed in the Indiana game, wasn't as effective as he was in the games against Furman and Clemson so getting him some rest especially with his foot injury I think would be beneficial get him a little fresher for that game but you're also kind of wondering everybody else has been playing so well for the most part you're a little afraid of losing some of your momentum you know a little bit of that game rhythm that you've got going on yeah, I certainly think they'll probably travel to New York uh, either this weekend or by Monday and, and get some time in, in Madison Square Garden to shoot around beforehand. And just what a great experience for these young guys as well to be able to go to a place like MSG. Uh, a lot of, you know, obviously not only famous basketball games, but famous concerts and artists and everything else has happened there. So I think this will be a great experience. And I hope they get to see New York a little bit as well and not just have to focus on the basketball. Well, you got to win the basketball games first, and then take you can care go of the basketball s- first. Then go see or New maybe York. Wednesday. You can go do something. On the other side of the bracket, we've already mentioned two Big Twelve teams. TCU will take on Texas. TCU's twenty-three and thirteen on the year. Texas nineteen and sixteen. Although they are higher rated in Ken Palm. Shaka Smart is trying to make a run here. I believe this is uh, year five or year four, or year five for him at Texas, and so having to do that uh, is a little bit of a struggle. Uh, TCU beat Texas both times, and so it'll be interesting. Interesting to see, you know, they always say it's hard to, uh, to beat, beat a, team a team three, three times, times in, a, in a year. I will be really interested to see, you know, Shaka came from VCU. I'd, I'd really like personally to see a uh, Wichita State-Texas matchup. There's just something about that that seems appealing to me. That'd be a lot of fun. Uh, to play Texas. Jamie Dixon's um, at TCU, too. I mean, they're, they're no joke, the Horn Frogs. And uh, I, I'll take any Big 12, any time, anywhere. anywhere. Let's go play. <laughs> you know, I feel like they're kind of in our footprint. So, you know, let, let's do it. Roll it out and let's go Let's go play some ball. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting, how much do you think Texas fans are kicking themselves for letting Rick Barnes go? Well, we just saw uh, Tennessee and Purdue actually are in overtime right now, but we've seen the job he's done at Tennessee. The SEC is turning into a really impressive basketball conference. Mm-hmm. You got, mm-hmm. you know, we saw Mississippi State, you have Kentucky, Florida was in the NCAA tournament, uh, Arkansas fired their coach, and now there's a rumor they might be going after Kelvin Sampson at Houston, so we'll kind of have to keep our eyes on that situation. Kelvin, I, I think, could build a, a very successful basketball program there at Houston, so I, I'm not sure if the Arkansas job is something he wants to jump to but the sec is really moving up there and maybe even pushing the big 12 for you know kind of that next uh basketball conference after the acc you know that's going to be something that i think is very important for the aac going forward is being able to retain its top coaches so certainly marshall has some longevity at wichita state you like the odds of him sticking around for a while there's a rumor cincinnati asked mick cronin to take a pay cut they offered to extend him, but at the same time, he would be in wow. effect taking a pay cut. Really? So I don't think things are going uh. great at Cincy right now. But yeah, since Mick yeah. Cronin actually, he, 
he has one more year at Cincy, I think, than Coach Marshall. So he's got some longevity there, too. Uh, but you see some good young coaches, uh, uh, Hurley at UConn and mm-hmm. certainly Penny at Memphis. And so if they can keep this core together, yeah, I'm all with you. I think it'd be great for the conference. And certainly Dawkins. So that's going to be, you know, there's kind of that interesting thing in that you see Houston has having a great run. They're in the Sweet 16, the opportunity to go to the Elite Eight and, and beyond. Um, but you don't see the kind of fan support at Houston overall that I would hope a team with that sort of pedigree that went to the NCAA tournament last year, they're starting to put together a run. It does, it seems like the fans are a bit slow to get on board with that program. Same thing is true at UCF. I'm, you know, with, with Dawkins, he's done an incredible job millimeters away from beating Duke and really based on the officiating late in that game, probably did beat Duke, as, as Marshall would allude to. But Dawkins has done a really impressive job at UCF. You're just kind of looking at, at schools like that. Those two programs could really become long-term, high-performing programs, but UCF really doesn't quite have that fan support, I, I feel like, right now. And I'd be concerned about those coaches getting poached by other conferences. And if this, if this conference wants to claim that it's a power six team it cannot be a stepping stone to other jobs in the middle middling teams of the big 12 or the sec like it cannot be poached for those schools and so i I really think that the the fans got to step up and support their program so that those jobs continue to be very attractive and continue to to have really quality coaches Houston was a top 15 team for most of the year, and they brought about 15 people to Memphis. So Houston is who I would call out number one. Their fans need to step it up. So, you know, Cincy was there. Wichita State obviously brought a a good contingent of fans. But Cincy, uh, or excuse me, uh, Houston fans really need to bring it. You know, Taylor's probably off watching Hamilton or something right now in New York. (laughs) So you get to sit in the seat for today. Let's make some predictions. So let's start with TCU and Texas. What do you think happens in that game? I'm gonna I'm gonna go that it's hard to beat a team three times, but I think it's gonna be on a last second shot. It's gonna be low scoring, poor shooting. I think it's gonna be 64-63 Texas. TCU won at home against Texas 65-61. They went on the road and won in Austin 69-56. They were relatively close games. I think TCU pulls it off as much as, you know, it would be neat to see Shockey again. And so I will say the Horn Frogs win will go 71 to 68. I do think it's a close game. And then as far as the Bison and the Shockers, Lipscomb from Nashville, Tennessee versus Wichita State. What are you thinking? I think it's probably going to be a little tougher than the Clemson game. I'm looking for something uh, similar to what we saw against Indiana and Furman. It's going to be tighter a little longer, and you're going to have to make some clutch plays down the stretch. So I'm going to go. I think the offense is getting a little better. I'm going to say Wichita State 75 and then Lipscomb 70. My biggest complaint about this team for most of the season would they would have these five-minute stretches where just nothing good would happen. They would just go completely, you know, blank on offense, struggle to score, and a lot of times that was the difference in the basketball game. We have not seen that in the NIT. You know, we talked about scoring on eight of the last nine possessions against Furman, taking care of business from the tip against Clemson, and really as close as that game was late to win by 10 uh, against Indiana, that was special as well. So I think the Shockers take care of business. I think they're using this rest. I think they're hungry. They want to do just like the uh, 2011 uh, NIT team did and make it to that championship game. Wichita State wins, I'll say, 76-70 over Lipscomb. Man, that's like that's like 
I'm going to bid a dollar and the price is right. <laughs> I did 75, 70, you said 76, 78. One dollar, Bob. One dollar, Bob. Um, you know, one of the things that I really would like to see in, in these games is, is Burton get a little get a little more rhythm. It seems like he has struggled a bit in the NIT. Um, certainly with the turnovers against Clemson, not really getting shots in rhythm. So I'd, I'd, look, I'd look for him. Yeah, He's still some getting of those some shots assists. have just missed the rim completely. So. He just Woo. looks to be a little, little, maybe a little bit sped up. Now, certainly he's been creating some shots for others. He's been getting to the rim on occasion. But I, I'd look for him in these games to hey, assert himself a little more, be a little more effective as an offensive threat. So. If you had one, you know, breakout player, one player that thinks he just goes and scores 15 to 20, very unexpected, who would that player be? Ooh, 15 to 20 unexpectedly. I think the only person I could see getting uh, getting hot like that uh, in, in this situation, I'm going to go Stevenson. I think uh, he's somebody I think is getting a little more confident in his shot. He's picking his spots a little better. But, man, sometimes he – the I think the basket just opens up for him depending on how confident he gets. It almost starts to look like a swimming pool to throw the ball in. Well, I don't think he'll score 20, but Mitgard, I think, could have a really big game. You know, he was just one point shy of a double-double against Furman, I believe. And so I think Mitgard goes off and, and has at least 15 points in one of the two games because we're saying they're going to play in two games. This <laughs> okay. Buy or sell time, you get to participate in this as well. Oh, I thought I just asked the questions. Okay, so, you know, we're kind of wrapping up the end of the year. Burton has really established himself this season as the starting point guard. Is Burton the starting point guard next season? Uh, I'm going to buy that with a caveat. I think game one, he has to be the starting point guard. Now, five to ten or 15 games in, we'll see what happens with these young freshmen that they have coming in. Um, you know, for stretches this year, Ricky Torres, actually, I, I feel like the uh, ball has, fl- uh, the offense has uh, flowed a little better when Ricky's in the game. So uh, I, I do think they could use maybe that true point guard to facilitate. But uh, yes, I'll buy that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be right there with you. I think he's the starting point guard, but I'm, I'm curious if by the end of the year, one of the newcomers has maybe started to establish themselves as a, as a true point guard who, who can effectively shoot the ball from outside and really facilitate the offense well. They're going to have so much depth next year. I mean, they're still recruiting for next year, and you think about the guys they have coming in, you just lose the two seniors. So every single position, I think they're going to have competition, which is, is good for you know for everybody. things moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Buy or sell, we've seen that Wichita State has rocketed up Ken Palm rankings in just with these last three games. Wichita State finishes as a top 50 Ken Palm team, buy or sell. I'm going to sell that. Uh, even if they win the two games this week, uh, let's see. Ken Palm-wise, Texas is 27, so that would help. TCU is 40. I'm not sure if that would jump them up as much. Uh, Lipscomb is just right behind them at 41. So I, I, I think they'll get close. It depends on, obviously, if they win both of those games. If they lose one of them, you're, you're not going to be there. But I'll, I'll sell it just for argument's sake. I think they'll buy it. I think they've been playing hot, and Ken Palm takes into account how you're playing. And defensively is where the Ken Palm rankings have really skyrocketed, and I don't think that defense is going to stop. I think that defensive efficiency is going to continue to to climb in these last games in New York, and I think they uh, it, it puts them over the top, and they, they end up top 50. So I'm going to buy it. It's probably pretty crazy of me. Uh, buy or sell. 
Dexter Dennis is better than Takeo Cotton as a freshman. Oh, I'll buy that all day. Uh, people forget Cotton was really a defensive specialist until about his junior year, and it wasn't until his senior year that he was really hitting three-pointers on a consistent basis. So I'll take Dexter Dennis all day because I think he—I don't think he's the defensive player that Cotton is, or at least Cotton was, uh, but he's got enough there, and then he adds so much on the offensive end, and he's so athletic, just like Cotton was, that I'm going to buy okay, that. Okay, well, then, then I'm going to make it harder on you. Is Dexter Dennis as a freshman better than sophomore to kill Cotton? I would buy that the, as well. Who is in the NCAA tournament locking up Pittsburgh, making a clutch three-pointer against Ohio State to go to the Final Four? Is Dexter Dennis? You no, know, Fred and Ron made big plays on that. Yeah, too, I'm freshman, not going to say so, it's all I mean, to kill Cotton, but certainly he was a... I mean, that was the year that he improved offensively midseason and figured out how to shoot the three. We've been waiting for this Dexter Dennis all season long. We've been here, you know, Taylor's been talking about being with the coaches, and they're saying this is the guy. And for the first five to ten games of the year, he was kind of a jag, just another guy out there on the court. But he's really turned it on, and, and I mean, it looks great. And if he can score consistency or consistently like McDuffie's been doing this year as a sophomore, Think, I mean, just like I said, the sky's the limit. And But what is amazing to me is he doesn't even have to score like that. He can just go out, put up five three-pointers, make three of them or four of them, and he just changes the whole game because he's going to be able to develop his ball handling. He's going to be able to get to the rim. So I definitely uh, would, would buy that as well. Six blocks against Indiana. That's a WSU postseason record. And he had, I believe he had either five or six of those in the first half. So not only did he no, have, all, They said you know, all six all, in the first half. Yeah, it was all, all in the first half. And then the fact that he's hit a three in 16 straight games, I mean, that stroke's looking nice. I think they gave one of those – I think they took a block away from Stevenson and gave it to Dennis. Yeah, and Stevenson was the one who blocked it. Yeah, it was just, I remember that replay. Yeah, Stevenson, so, Dexter was up there just waiting on it. On he was going to get if, if Stevenson missed. So maybe you know maybe it's a half block. Is this <laughs> kind of like sacks in the NFL? Half a sack for everybody, half a block. Okay, final one. Media deal was announced this week for the AAC. So the rumor is they haven't actually announced numbers, which surprises me a little bit. That it's something on the order of a billion dollars for the conference. So a big media deal, certainly a lot of money is going to be flowing in, uh, but there's no grant of rights included in that media deal. It's going to be pushing more content to ESPN Plus or the streaming platform. So my question for you is buy or sell the new media deal will hold the AAC together for at least five more years in its current configuration. I will absolutely buy that, and I'll buy it for a couple of different reasons. First of all, the only person or the only folks who are unhappy with the AAC right now are UConn fans. And until UConn finishes above, you know, ninth or tenth place, I don't think they should be talking any crap whatsoever. Second thing I'll say, what is everyone doing these days? They're cutting the cord. They're moving to Netflix or they're moving to ESPN Plus or Disney's coming out with a Disney Plus or Apple or whatever. All these different companies are trying to keep their own content. So in the future, it's not going to be such a big deal to have ESPN Plus. I will also say what has been lost in this announcement is they said the exact same number, if not more games, would still be on the core ESPN network. So whether that's ESPN, ESPN2, ESPN U or News or whatever it is, 
you know, we're still doing good there. And really, this comes down to football, as it does with everything. And I think the conference is pretty strong from a football perspective right now. So we've seen Cincinnati, Tulane, certainly the success that UCF has had. Houston just hired uh, West Virginia's coach away from them, Dana Holm- Holmgrenson. So I-, I think ultimately it's going to be a great deal on average. And these are just numbers that have been thrown out there. But on average, each school would be receiving $5.3 million, uh, on an annualized basis. Now the Shockers will take less of that because Navy's probably, you know, they'll probably split one share. And let's say Navy gets 75 for football and the Shockers get 25 for everything else. But still, that's more than the 200000 that you were getting in the Missouri Valley Conference. So, I mean, this is a no-brainer to me. And if I have to pay $3 a month to watch my favorite college basketball team, I'm going to freaking do that. Yeah, it's it's certainly not an expensive thing Sorry, to be I got able worked to, up there for a second. Got a little excited. <laughs> Dustin got angry on the Talk Angry podcast. I will be interested to see how ESPN Plus gets developed because I think that they have something vested there that they're going to want to push that content more and more and more. Certainly, they've got the UFC on ESPN Plus. Peyton Manning does a show uh, where he breaks down the NFL. LeBron James has a show, so I think you're going to see more customized content like that. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I was listening to Kansas City Sports Radio this week. Pretty soon, all these franchises will probably have their own content. So you could have, you know, Wichita State Plus, or and obviously that wouldn't be the name, but where there's exclusive shows and different things about Wichita State or professional team or whatever it might be. So this is definitely where where the ball is going what i think will be important is how this pushes the aac forward as a conference do they start to be pulled away from the quote-unquote group of five football conferences and start to be more lumped in with the actual other power five conferences because certainly it's a media deal that those other group of five conferences do not have They've got more success than those other group of five conferences have. So certainly they put themselves in a strong position. It would be really interesting to see as the next round of things and media deals unfold, you know, what happens with the Big 12, what happens in those things. Certainly I feel like there's still some uncertainty there. And, and you know, Wichita State made the right move. Absolutely. You you do it every, every day of the week and, and again on Sunday. Um, but I, I feel like... You know, there's still some instability in the whole thing, and and it wouldn't take much for for something to pull a Cincinnati or a Memphis or a UCF into another conference, considering the grant of rights was not a part of the media deal. But I think you know, right now, competitively, I think they've if if they can have in the next few years, at least as far as basketball is concerned, if they can get to where they've got five or six bids in the conference, if they're getting the same number of bids that you're looking at like a Big 12 got this year, um, and they're able to continue to put a team in those top-tier bowl games like UCF has done, I think you start doing that, and I think that the separation becomes smaller, and it becomes less attractive for some of those schools to make a jump because while we talk about the AAC being unstable, it certainly is just as unstable for many of those conferences. The The ACC probably pretty steady. The Big 10 pretty steady. Uh, and the SEC is probably pretty steady, but I, I look at the Pac-12 and I look at the Big 12 and I have no idea what would happen there. You know, if a team were to leave the AAC and to go to one of those conferences, is is that conference going to be around and it's and be very strong in the future? So it's well, certain, and, and so. one thing we forget here is some of these athletic par- departments are not doing very well financially. So Cincinnati's struggling a little bit right now. UConn's struggling a little bit right now. So I don't think they're in a place to go make a big jump. And from a football perspective, as much as I love the American, 
you know, it is a little different ball game that they're playing versus, you know, these larger conferences. And so I don't think it's to UCF's advantage to go play 10 difficult games in a conference like an SEC. Why not, you know, play your schedule in the American and then go play one difficult game in a bowl game? All you got to do is get ready to play LSU in the Sugar Bowl instead of getting beaten up day after day after or week after week uh, in one of those more difficult conferences. So sometimes, as we all know, the grass isn't always as green on the other side as it seems. And uh, I don't know, I, I think from a basketball perspective, the next two to four years, the American is going to be, you know, top four or one of those premier basketball conferences is not getting in two or three, but getting in four or five, you know, maybe six teams down the road. So I just, that, I feel like the future is bright. That's the key. And, and that's where I go back to the point about the, the head coaches. You got to keep those coaches because you're looking at Houston. They've got a lot of pieces coming back next year. They could be just as good next year. You expect Cincinnati to be very good. You're expecting Wichita State to make a jump. Can Wiseman make Memphis the team that goes forward to be you know, an NCAA tournament team next year? Can UCF stay on top? Does Aubrey Dawkins go pro, or does he stick around for another year? They even have some pretty good size in their junior and sophomore ranks, so certainly there is some talent still on the UCF team, even though you're looking at B.J. Taylor and Taco Fall being gone next season so who Donnie Jones actually recruited when he was the coach at UCF he was an assistant at Wichita yep. State last year was at yep. Dayton and now he's the head coach at Stetson so he's Stetson back, uh into the ball the game head. got got a head coaching job this week but and then Hurley at UConn so you know you're looking at a lot of these coaches you know can can the momentum go forward can we get enough teams to be performing well enough in the non-conference to where you're getting that many bids and and looking like a, a real strong power league <laughs> Well, it'll be an exciting week in New York, Madison Square Garden, all games on ESPN, chance to advance to the championship, play either TCU or Texas. We'll be back to wrap up the regular, the final games of the season here this week. We'll, we'll do a wrap-up show sometime here in the next few weeks to get you all ready for the offseason. We'll be with you throughout the summer and uh, certainly into next season. So good luck to the Shockers this week. Thanks for listening. Greatest five stars.